Welcome to episode 189 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on March 12th, 2022. I'm your host, Michael Tunnell. If you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. On this week's episode, we've got some distro news, some app news, some gaming news, and even a little bit of core news to cover for this episode. All of this and so much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux. Good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean, by Visuex, and by Bitwarden. Up first in the show this week, we have the 5.17 version of the Linux kernel. Well, it's actually not been released yet. It is expected to be released tomorrow. And provided that nothing major happens between now and then, I decided to go ahead and cover it on this week's episode. And as with any release of the Linux kernel, I try to cover as many highlights as possible, but there's always a plethora of things to choose from, so there's no way for me to cover absolutely everything. So I'm going to cover a few things, and then I will have links in the show notes for anyone who wants to learn more about what is in this latest version. So first of all, let's talk about the AMD side of things. Support for the new AMD P-State driver for Zen 2 and newer systems with ACPI CPPC support has been added, and also AMD P-State is aimed to provide greater desktop and mobile power efficiency than the ACPI CPU FREC driver. So this basically, that just means that it's going to be a, a, better, a lot more efficient in terms of how much power it is using with regardless of what kind of device you are doing. So also, there's a various early enablement work on the next generation AMD processors from EDAC handling from DDR5 server memory to temperature monitoring and all sorts of other things. There's also early preparations have begun for Intel's Raptor Lake processors as the that's the successor to the Alder Lake, which is the current one, but they're already working on having support for Raptor Lake, which is great. And also more is expected to be coming in the next version as well as future versions. And speaking of Alder Lake, the Intel Alder Lake P graphics support is now enabled by default. And Intel has been continuing their work for enablement for the DG2 Alchemist graphics cards, their GPUs that they will be releasing in the next few months or so. And if you want to learn more about these particular Intel GPUs, then be sure to check out episode 43 of Hardware Addicts as we go in-depth on this topic. And also you can check out episode 48 of Hardware Addicts as we go an in-depth breakdown for the Intel Alder Lake hardware specifically. Also in this latest version of Linux 5.17, there's some stylus support for the Universal Stylus Initiative, or USI. This is really cool because this is an industry effort to have common specification around input styluses that can work across, you know, across devices and cross vendors. This is really great to see because uh, depending on what kind of, you, kind of thing you need to do with a stylus, whether it is basic usage or whether you need to do some drawing tablets and stuff like that, it's very cool for this to be a, an effort to actually have a standardization for this because there's all sorts of different ways of doing it in the past. Uh, also in this latest version, they have some performance improvements for ButterFS and the F2FS file systems. And also they've continued upstreaming work around the Apple Silicon or M1 hardware with PCIe clock gating support being added for this version. And there's just so, so much more. So if you'd like to learn more about this latest version, well, I'll have something in the show notes for you to check out before the release happens because this show will come out the day before. So there will be some information about it, but if you want to wait for the next, you know, when it actually comes out, I will be putting the notes when it is finally released tomorrow. So you can check that out then as well. 
Mesa 22.0 has been released for this 3D graphics library, which for those who don't know, it provides open source implementations of OpenGL, OpenGL ES, Vulkan, OpenCL, and more. So it's uh, pretty important. It's also the thing that is used heavily for the uh, GPU support and drivers for you know AMD graphics and Intel graphics and that sort of stuff. Uh, so the latest release has a lot of highlights. We're going to be able to cover a few, again, just like the Linux kernel has. So the highlights of Mesa 22.0 is a Vulkan 1.3 is in place for both Radeon RAD-V and Intel ANV Vulkan drivers. Uh, various extensions required by Vulkan 1.3 were added earlier this cycle, including dynamic rendering and others, but this has full support for Vulkan 1.3. Also, Intel Alder Lake in support is in place along with starting the Raptor Lake support. And there is also new but currently disabled DG2 Alchemist code, so it's being put in there so that it can be turned on when necessary. Also, Adaptive Sync VRR for the Intel OpenGL and Vulkan drivers was added. Uh, experimental mesh shaders for Rad, RADV and Intel ANV for the DG, DG2 Alchemist for the Intel GPUs, and also some continued work on the Rad, RADV ray tracing. And it's worth noting that for my good buddy Ryan from Destination Linux Podcast, that this release of the Mesa drivers has significant performance improvements for Elden, Elden Ring. Elden Ring. I think that's the game he plays. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about the latest release of the Mesa drivers, or 22.0, links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we have the latest release of the Budgie desktop with 10.6. So Budgie 10.6 is the first release under the uh, Buddies of Budgie organization, which is a new organization after the switch away from Solus. So the, the Budgie desktop is now its own independent project. And this is the first release under that project. And also Budgie 10.6 is has a lot of refinement and polish to the desktop. But there's, there's a lot of changes that are coming in the future as well, so we're going to talk about that in a bit. Uh, first of all, there's a lot of improvements for uh, application grouping, better support for KDE applications, improvements to single instance application tracking, and also they have revamped the notification system that it's now a standalone system and is no longer part of the Raven notification center. So that's going to be really interesting to see what that is because a lot of people are, are used to using the Raven for that, so that's going to be a, a somewhat of a change there. Uh, so also there, to quote uh, Joshua Strobel, the lead dev of the Budgie desktop, he says that Budgie 10.6 is not just a reflection of our organization change for the development of Budgie. It reflects an expansion on Budgie 10.x series with new features and re-architectures applying the lessons learned from those into our next generation version of Budgie. Buddies of Budgie views Budgie desktop as a platform rather than a product. So this is really interesting. If you want to learn more, I'll have a link to the quotes so you can get more details about what that is. Uh, but for those curious about the previous time we talked about Budgie, we were talking about it switching to EFL for the future version of Budgie with Budgie 11. Or for those who don't know what EFL means, it's the Enlightenment Foundation Libraries, which is based on the, the Enlightenment window environment. That's what I call it. It's not really what it calls itself, but you know. So Joshua has confirmed that it is still the plan for Budgie 11 to migrate to use EFL. So, so Budgie 10.6 is going to be still on its same path of just improvements and refinements of what it currently works as. And then Budgie 11 will have the EFL switch. And if you'd like to learn more about that and what that means, then check out episode 259 of Destination Linux and episode 168 of Twill for more information on this switch for, for the EFL uh, Enlightenment Foundation libraries. And also, if you'd like to learn more about this particular news for the latest release of Budgie 10.6, links in the show notes. 
This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most. Of course, building world-changing apps that grow your business. With DigitalOcean, you also get predictable pricing, robust product docs. I mean, the tutorial system of DigitalOcean is just fantastic. They have thousands and thousands of tutorials that are just great to check out. And the services that developers love, and that's DigitalOcean. You get support at every stage of growth, too, from teams of one person to teams of a thousand people. With simple, powerful cloud computing, you can get growing at DigitalOcean. And as a listener of This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's better than free because they're going to give you a $100 free credit on DigitalOcean when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. We changed the URL to tux for many reasons, but for reference, tux is the name of the Linux Penguin mascot. So there you go. So again, go to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, let's talk about Blender because Blender is an awesome piece of open source software and the latest version of 3.1 has been released and has a lot of new features to mention. I won't be able to cover all of them, of course, so here are some highlights. Blender 3.1 introduces an, an Apple Metal GPU backend for faster performance on M1 hardware, and this was contributed directly by Apple themselves, which shows just how important Blender is as an application. They also have a new point cloud object that can be rendered directly with cycles to create sand, water splashes, particles, or even motion graphics. Much more memory efficient and also does faster render times with this. If you want to learn more about cycles, you can check out the previous episode of Twill where we talked about Blender 3.0. I'll have that linked in the show notes. There's also instances that now be, uh, they now have their own ability to have dynamic attributes, which opens up a lot of features. And Blender 3.1 also adds GPU acceleration to the subdivision modifier, which can improve speeds of rendering by up to 10 times. That's right, 10 times, which is awesome. They've also increased ray tracing precision. They now support larger images with the image editor. Previously, you could only do a certain amount because once you get too large of an image, it would create a bit of a lag. Now it's much more performant with this latest version of Blender 3.1. They also added context-aware uh, context search and geometry nodes. So context-aware search is awesome. It's always great to see that because it allows the search to make adjustments on the fly based on things like where you are in the application, what you're doing, and that kind of thing when you initiate the search. So I always love to see context-aware search uh, at, in any application. It's always great to see. Also, various workflow improvements have been done and other performance optimizations and so much more. And if you'd like to learn more about Blender 3.1, Link in the show notes. Up next in the show is Wine 7.4 was released this week, and this is the latest development snapshot of the Wine project. For those unfamiliar, Wine is the project that creates a compatibility layer for running Windows games and applications on Linux. Wine is also the basis for Valve's and CodeWeaver's Proton system used for Steam on Linux and the Steam Deck. Wine 7.4 continues their development path of converting more Wine components to PE format or portable executable, executable format. With Wine 7.4, the Wine D3D, the D3D12, and DXGI modules are all converted to PE format. So Wine 7.4 also continues to more clean up changes around supporting the long variable types 
and a lot of other things. So there's there's tons of different stuff that you're that are you know kind of a breakdown. If you want to see more details, you can check out the show notes. I'll have links for that. And the other notable changes for Wine 7.4 is having Wine's light theme enabled by default, and also bundling the VKD3D library in directly into Wine 7.4. And again, if you'd like to learn more, link in the show notes. And speaking of Wine, Boiling Steam has reported that there's a Google for Games Developer Summit planned for March 15th, and Stadia is expected to introduce some kind of Windows emulator to run Windows games on Linux. Although we don't know if this is based on Wine or not, but we will find out in a few days. It could be based on Wine. It also could be their own bespoke system. Google's known for kind of doing that sometimes. Anyway, so there was, this is based on a talk that is going to be given. It's called How to Write a Windows Emulator for Linux from Scratch by Marcin Undock. Undock? I'm not sure. Sorry if I butchered your name. I probably did. Sorry about that. Anyway, this, is, this talk is described by saying, this talk will dish out the, a detailed overview of the technology behind Google's solution for running unmodified Windows games on Stadia. This is a deep technical walkthrough of some of the core concepts with the goal of allowing curious programmers to better understand such technologies and potentially build their own. One of the major issues of Stadia for a while so far has been the number of games available on the platform. And since launch, some people have said that the reason for that is that it has apparently required native ports to Linux for game compatibility. And this, I actually like this as a, as a requirement because a native port requirement, in theory, those games could easily just be released on the Linux desktop as well. So I'm not sure how often that has happened, but we do know some companies have made terrible choices, such as uh, Bungie for Destiny 2. They basically said that, you know, they're not going to be supporting Linux, even though they already made a port for Linux due to Stadia. So some companies just make weird decisions. But it would be cool to have the numbers on how many games have done a native port since making it for the, the Google Stadia system. But, you know, if anybody has any information about that, please let me know in the comments. I would love to know more about that information. But if you'd like to learn more about this particular thing, you can get the, check the links in the show notes. I'll have a link to the talk. So it won't be happening until March 15th, but you can put it in your calendar if you'd like to check it out. So links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome password manager, allowing you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides you with tools to store all of your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords for you, and even automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this. Recently, I've been testing another product that I didn't have all my stuff set up, and, well... I had to type in some stuff and I have like ridiculous passwords on purpose to make them really long. And that was such a pain. Not having Bitwarden to be installed was like, was difficult. So when I finally got it, it was just, oh, it was so fantastic to be able to access it again. So yeah, you can access your data on many different types of devices, whether it's your web browser, your mobile apps, your desktop applications, or even on the command line. You get also all of this, plus Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your devices. So you know you're the only person with access to your data, which is incredibly important to me, and it should be to everyone who has passwords. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I think you also want to check out their premium account because for less than a dollar per month, that's right, less than a dollar per month will give you one gigabyte of encrupted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, 
Bitwarden Authenticator for temp, like two-factor authentication, a priority customer service, and so much more. Again, you get this for less than a dollar per month. That's right, less than a dollar per month. So make the smart move like many community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up next in the show is the latest release of Zorin OS 16.1. This is the first point release of the 16 series, and they say that it is packed with improvements to help users work better, also updates to apps and system-level software, and support for new hardware. So the latest version of 16.1 for Zorin OS is based on Ubuntu 2004 LTS, but they do include the hardware enablement updates with this point release, so the kernel has been updated to 5.13, which is the kernel used in Ubuntu 21.10. This kernel provides a better extended force support, also a new uh, cooling driver for modern Intel CPUs, improvements for NVIDIA graphics, such as supporting the RTX 3050, out-of-the-box compatibility with a framework laptop, and so much more. Now, it is a little bit out of date in terms of the uh, kernel version, because we just talked about 5.17, as you might remember, in this this exact episode. So 5.13 is a little bit out of date, but it is uh, nice to see that being added on an LTS-based distribution because uh, some of the uh, LTS distributions do not update the kernels, and that can be problematic depending on the hardware of someone. So I'm, I'm glad to see that. You know, hope uh, I would prefer if Ubuntu updated the kernels faster than that, but there you go. So as for those who don't know, the hardware enablement is done by Ubuntu and then pulled into the derivatives. So that's why you know there's a little bit of delay between when Ubuntu does it and the uh, LTS version, so like 2004.4, I think, was the latest one that got the 5.13. Anyway, let's get back to Zorin OS. So Zorin OS is an interesting distribution that has a lot of polish for the, the user experience. Even their website gets a lot of attention for presentation. So if you're interested in checking out a distribution that is LTS-based on Ubuntu and also has a really nice presentation, it looks quite modern, and uh, I think there's a lot of potential for it. You can check it out and learn more with the, sh- the links in the show notes below. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about Arch Linux for a little bit because Arch turned 20 years old this week. I saw one fun comment about that saying that after 20 years, they still haven't reached 2.0 release. For those unaware, Arch Linux is a rolling release distribution, which means it doesn't use release numbers due to constantly rolling out updates, typically on a daily basis. There's also another joke about how people say, you know, do you, do you need an updater to let you know when their updates are for Arch Linux? And they basically, has it been 24 hours since you updated? Then yes, there are updates. So there you go. I just wanted to take a moment to wish Arch Linux community a happy anniversary for 20 years of development because that's very, very cool. And uh, you know, if you're going to any project that gets to that amount of development time, it deserves to be recognized for that sort of thing. So whether you're an Arch Linux fan or not, it's still very cool for Arch Linux to have like an anniversary of that magnitude and get that milestone of 20 years. So if you'd like to learn more about the first version of Arch Linux, which they have a retro blog post sort of thing where you can find out the more details about what they did for 0.1. You can compare it for what it is now. You can check that out. I'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about the Heroic Games Launcher because it is now available as a flat pack on the FlatHub. For those unfamiliar with the Heroic Games Launcher, it is a community-made open source app for running the Epic Games Store on Linux. It was a bit of a hassle to get the Epic Game Store on the Steam Deck for those who are lucky enough to have a Steam Deck already. Uh, but now, thanks to the Heroic Games Launcher having a Flatpak support in the Flathub, it is much, much easier to install it on the Steam Deck. And of course, 
since the Steam Deck is made for Linux gaming. This also means that you can use the Flatpak to install the Heroic Games Launcher on your Linux desktop if you would like to. There's also a nice guide from GamingOnLinux.com. I'll have that linked in the show notes for how to set up permissions for the Flatpak to get access to storage devices you may want to use. So if you have a Steam Deck already somehow, then you can use that to be getting access to the SD card and that sort of thing. So if you'd like to learn more, I'll have links in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Visuex.com. Visuex is a brand strategy design consultancy. This is a fancy way of saying that Visuex helps brands and businesses achieve their goals and accelerate growth to convert leads into customers through design and marketing services. So Visuex is also happens to be my company. So there's that. Visuex helps businesses gain a competitive advantage and build lasting relationships with their communities. Because businesses shouldn't, you know, settle for good enough. Why settle for good enough when they can contact Visuex and get visual excellence? That's where the, the name comes from. Visual excellence. Visuex. As a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free with a free consultation. Plus, also, if you let them, me, know that you heard about Visuex, me, from Twill, me, to receive a 10% discount on your first project. That's right. If you let them know, me know, that you heard it from them, me, then you can check it out and get that 10% discount on your first project. So go to visuex.com slash DLN to get started. And I want to thank Visuex, me, for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux, me. Up next in the show, GamingOnLinux.com have reported that there are some games being verified to work on the Steam Deck from the Xbox Game Studios. This is great news, but it also begs some questions. Is Microsoft involved in this directly, or is it just accidental support thanks to the work done on Proton? And the answer to these questions both seem to be yes. Microsoft is aware of it, but also it is accidental. So while Microsoft didn't mark the games as verified, Valve did that, Microsoft has commented on this and on the potential support for the Steam Deck. So, and I quote, it says, it's up to our studios how they fit Steam Deck integration for their games into their busy schedules. And with a lot of great stuff already in the works, some titles may take longer. So while Microsoft doesn't seem thrilled to jump on board, they aren't telling their studios not to do it and or that they're not saying that they won't support it at all. So there is a benefit there. So this is some good news for gamers looking to play those games on the Steam Deck or on Linux eventually. Now for now, we have a list of games that have been verified as well as also are currently in the playable listing. So for verified, we have uh, Psychonauts 2, Prey, Battletoads, and more. We also have in the playable section, a Sea of Thieves, Fallout 4, Forza Horizon 5, and also more. So if you'd like to learn more and see what all the rest of the games are for that are supported in this latest update, I'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show, I'm going to tell you a story. And this is a story all about how the life got turned upside down by the CVE 2022-0847. So while that's a joke for a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air joke, uh, it, is, it is a vulnerability that is worth talking about because it is problematic. So with all seriousness, this is called Dirty Pipe Vulnerability in the Linux kernel since 5.8. It's been, that's how it was found. So it goes all the way back to 5.8. And it was found by Max Kellerman, which allows overriding data in arbitrary read-only files. And this leads to privilege escalation because unprivileged processes can inject code into root processes. Now, it can be exploited by a normal logged-in user or a rogue running program to gain... <laughs> I still, I'm still laughing at the stupid joke. <laughs> okay, votes. Let's vote. Who wants to keep in the silly Fresh Prince of Bel-Air joke? Yes. 
Absolutely. Uh, okay, I'll keep it. I might even keep in this part where I'm asking people if I should keep it. Uh, who knows? <laughs> All right, back to seriousness. Okay, so it can be exploited by normal logged-in users or on a rogue running program to gain root-level privileges. It can also be used by malicious apps to take over vulnerable Android devices. So if your phone is running an affected Linux kernel version, which you can find out by going to uh, About Phone and then Software Information in the System Settings app of your device, you can check to see what kernel version you have. It is similar to the CVE 2016-5195 Dirty Cal exploit, but it is easier to exploit in this case. Uh, the vulnerability was fixed in Linux 5.16.11, 5.15.25, and 5.10.102. So all the LTSs have already got it updated. Uh, also, it all started a year ago. So this is this story part is actually interesting because it's based on the blog post about that's why I introduced it with the story thing. It's because it's a really well written blog post explaining what how how he, how he got the information and how it uh, developed evolved into learning it was an it was an exploit. So it all started a year ago. He says with a support ticket about corrupt files. A customer complained that access logs they downloaded could not be decompressed. And indeed, there was a corrupt log file on one of the log servers. So he fixed it by manually fixing the CRC uh, because it was a, the GSIP reported a CRC error. So he manually fixed that and then closed the ticket and then just kind of forgot about it. And then months later, it happened again and then again. And every time, it was the same kind of thing. The, uh, the CRC, you had an error at the issue at the, uh, at the end of the file. So it was basically just to figure out what it was. But now that he had multiple files, he was able to dig deeper and find out what it is and said through trial and error and hours of staring at a, at, at a hole into the code, Max was able to decipher what happened and reveal the vulnerability. And as mentioned, the vulnerability has been patched in the Linux kernel, but depending on which version of the kernel your device or your computer is using, it may or may not be affected by this particular issue. So you might want to check to see what version you have, and also if you have an affected one, be sure to update as soon as possible for your distribution to release this, this patch. Uh, Max's write-up about this vulnerability was interesting as well as because it, 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 in addition to helping improve the Linux kernel, Max wrote a blog post that explains this quite well with nice breakdowns of how it works and that sort of thing. And it was quite interesting to read. So if you would like to check it out for yourself, I'll have a link in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release of Firefox 98. And with this release, there's a lot of improvements to bug fixes and that sort of stuff. But the biggest thing is that Firefox has a new optimized download flow. Instead of prompting every time, files will now download automatically. However, they can still be opened from the downloads panel with just one click, and just it just improves it overall. So you'll find a lot of new options, including the always open similar files, which is fantastic. So you can actually like basically set a file type to open an, app, an application automatically based on the default application of the system. Also, show in folder, you can now open the folder that contains all of your downloaded files. And you could already kind of do that, but this is kind of like just making the flow easier for this. And you can also, um, basically, it will open the uh, downloads panel at, all at the same time. So when you start doing the process, you don't have to constantly go back and forth. As well as if you have multiple files that you're downloading, it will just put it all in one and kind of close it, close it away quicker rather than having a lot of stuff in the, on your screen, depending on how many files you download. They also made it possible to copy the download link to share it, save it, or for any other use that you want. And it made it easier to delete the delete stuff. Also, the remove from history has been easier to be done. Uh, they've also made it possible to easily clear the preview panel. So you can clear the list of downloaded items in the preview panel that opens when you start a download rather than having to open 
the download manager window and then clear it from there. You can do it directly in the panel, so that's nice. And also in this release, you'll, you'll see that Firefox no longer asks what to do for each file by default. This is great because you won't be prompted to choose a helper application or save to disk before downloading a file because that could be a little bit annoying. And as someone who sometimes downloads lots of files because I'm downloading images for you know modifications for website stuff, like when I do Visuex stuff or design, it does kind of get in the way when I have to download a bunch of files. This helps that a lot. So if you are using Firefox, which you should be because it's the best browser, you should check it out, the latest version of Firefox 98. Uh, not not biased in any way, by the way. It was just, you know, this is a thing. Links in the show notes. <laughs> Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel and the show, we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon, sponsors, and others. You can learn more by becoming a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. And if you do become a patron, you can join me in the live streams in the recording stadium to discuss stuff between topics and also to just hang out every week after the show. And also, in some cases, you can help me kind of troubleshoot my audio issues that I had just like this week, because that's always fun, right? Helping me make the show possible, and that's what patrons do. Also, the people in live chat did that too, so that was very helpful too. Thank you very much for that. Uh, so I'm not sure why I'm including this in the outro, but I am. So let's 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 keep it. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the, the, I said t-shirt again. That's the second time. Last week I did it too. This week in Linux shirt as well at thedealinstore.com. Plus while you're there, you can check out all the other great stuff. We have hacks, hacks. <laughs> we have hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, and more at thedealinstore.com. If you like some more podcasting goodness from me, and check out the latest episodes of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts as I rarely just fumble on words that of, you know, basically on the edited versions when you, when you check those out. As I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern or U.S. Eastern and 1700 UTC. So join us in the live, actually no, 1800, 1800 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the Linux good news each and every week. If you can find it, the time, you know, based on what I just said, dealinglive.com. And thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Destination Linux Network, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux. Good news. <laughs>